Today's guest is Austin Hurwitz. This is actually one of my favorite conversation. Uh, what I love most about this conversation with Austin is his authenticity and his passion for what he does. Austin is currently the head of strategy and business development at Doodles. Those of you who don't know, Doodles is actually one of the more successful NFT projects in the space and is really doing the work to expand beyond the Web3 universe to being a global brand. And Austin has been instrumental in that and been responsible for some of their amazing partnerships with other companies such as Camp and Crocs. But he's got so much passion when he talks about this brand and what the future holds for Doodles. It was a really great conversation. We discussed how he entered the space, um, his time at Amazon Music, to working with Troy Carter over at Venice Music, and then eventually landing in Web3 at Doodles. He was a holder from day one, and to have worked his way through the community, and now to head of strategy and business development is really quite a wonderful journey. He's got what I consider to be one of the smartest minds in the space. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Austin. I hope you all enjoy it. Austin, thank you for joining us here on Proof of Culture. Uh, really great to have you. So I'm deeply appreciative of your time. Uh, right out the gate, let's get started. What is your origin story? How did you make it here to Web3? Gosh, well, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Origin story, you know, the short, short version. For me, started back in around 2017. I was working at Amazon Music at the time, leading independent label licensing. And as part of our launch for Amazon Music Unlimited, I had the wonderful responsibility of figuring out if we were in license for all the music that we were going to uh, distribute on Amazon Music. So there's, without boring people as to the music licensing landscape, the, the main thing that you need to know is there's basically a record with the Library of Congress, the Copyright Office, as to mm -hmm. if you have a license for tracks on the publishing side. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly archaic. Most people don't actually fill it out. For those that are that may be familiar with it, it's like a lot of songs aren't even fully licensed by the time they even go out. Splits aren't finalized. Uh, it's really like a mess. And at the time, there were statutory damages for people that would put out music that they didn't have a full license. Too. So you could not be in the wrong and, you know, you, there's no license available and you could still end up getting dinged with some pretty serious fines. And that was kind of the first time I realized how broken the music industry was. It sounds tedious. <laughs> super tedious. No, no ledger of record, right? Like this information exists like all over the place. It exists on like people's servers. Um, it's There's no one place for everyone to see all this information and it ultimately ends up putting, you know, the risk on people who, who want to provide products and services. So it was in that process that I actually started hearing about some of the first wave of like web three music companies. These were like the Ujo musics and the dot blockchain VCs that were really focused on how could you bring this licensing on chain, mm -hmm. um, which was a, a cute need that I immediately felt after spending, you know, hours and hours every day for weeks trying to figure out if we were in license for tens of millions of songs at the time. Um, so that initially piqued my interest. I ended up writing a white paper at Amazon as to the licensing implications of crypto and put forward some recommendations 
on some exploratory work that we could we could do uh, as this was coming online. Um, from there, you know, did some dabbling and and crypto trading, and then the crash of like 2018 happened. Mm-hmm. Kind of took a backseat. You know, went on with with the rest of my life. Ended up moving down to LA, working for Troy Carter and Susie Ruse Venice Music, which is an independent music distributor. Um, and really didn't find my way back into crypto until the winter of 2021, which uh, for those that remember, this was like the NFT craze that was going off with <laughs> NBA Top Shot and then Bored Ape. Mm-hmm. And I remember desperately uh, trying to get like these Top Shot packs and, and failing miserably every time. <laughs> um, but it was through this process that I initially started noticing this independent music wave that was happening on Web3. And there was an artist by the name of Spotty Wi-Fi uh, who had used his CryptoPunk to create an entire brand uh, around his his NFT and was doing really, really well at the time. Uh, there was an article in Pigeon and Planes, uh, which for those that were around during the blog, blog boy era, uh, that will be a, a name that they remember. They did this whole cover story on him and I sent it to Troy and Susie. You know, basically with like the, hey, I don't know exactly what to make of this, but there's definitely a trend happening that I think we should get on top of and and pay attention to. So I went from managing our product team to really diving into Web3 full time from there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So diving into all the different communities, buying my first PFPs is actually how I got involved in in Doodles to start. I was there from the week of mid uh, to developing our own uh, Web3 strategy and and ultimately launching the first NFT for music distributors. So you would buy the NFT as an artist or a manager and you'd be able to access our SaaS product to distribute your music, collect your royalties, give you access to our community, to a recording studio. So it was really like the first of its kind. So that, w- that was how I like dove into Web3 and then I ended up leaving Venice last summer just to take a little break, do some consulting work. Um, and it was during that process that I, I got put in touch again with the founders at Doodles and mm-hmm. Julian Holgan, the CEO. They were really looking to to have someone come in and think through business development and strategy. So I have been at Doodles since the uh, top of the year. Awesome. Awesome. So two things about, about what you said. First is um, working with Troy and Susie, which I also did at, at uh, Cross Culture Ventures. I was the EIR over there working with those two. But secondly, it's just, it seems like what you're doing now with Doodles is so completely different. You've been pretty immersed in, in the music space, right? What do you think Web3 can really bring to the music industry? Because I think that I've been hearing from people how much the music industry is waiting to be disrupted by something like Web3. Do you really think that that possibility exists? Yeah, if I if I had the exact blueprint, I probably would still be working. Second, <laughs> we we'd see a lot more product market fit. I think that the reality is like Web three music is very much in its infancy and really looking for a variety of different value propositions to go solve for. Mm-hmm. I think we often, for those that have spent time there recognize that there are a lot of things that are broken within the music industry, particularly for for independent musicians, whether it is how the uh, contracts are set up, how they're getting paid, the timeline or the lag and how long it takes to get paid, Mm -hmm. uh, the not having access to 
fan information, you know, you sell tickets through like Ticketmaster. You typically don't get that information of who actually attended your shows or who bought your merch uh, to how you interact with your fans on socials and ultimately you not owning that social graph. So there's like a lot of different use cases directly within music as it relates to fandom and monetization and ownership like a lot of first principles that exist within crypto i think lend themselves really well to solving some of these pretty big hairy problems within music and there are a host of different protocols and and companies and artists that are building in that space and and looking to continue to to develop over time so yeah i i think you know as I look at the current Web3 landscape, I'm encouraged by a multitude of developments, whether it be what Medallion is doing and really like giving artists control of their like fan pages uh, and, and taking that control back from platforms and doing it in a very like, Web2 and a half way. Uh, they've seen some pretty remarkable traction pretty early on to sound XYZ's mandate of really just putting music on chain and creating that permanent record of provenance and fandom. I think we'll just continue to see a lot of iteration over time. So yeah, I'm encouraged by what I see so far. It's still very, very much in its infancy. And you know, for a lot of crypto use cases overall, I think if we're going to see mainstream adoption, it has to start with the experience, not the technology. Yeah. Uh, and you're starting to, starting to see that more. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about your incredible trajectory. You went from being a member of the Doodles community. You, you mentioned that you were there. You minted first day. And now you're head of strategy in BD. Let's talk a little bit about that progression, because I think for most people, that, that's pretty inspiring. I'm curious just how the whole thing transpired and, and really how you see your role there. I, like I said, I was early in the Doodles community. I I was in the week of Mint. I didn't Mint, but I, I bought my first Doodle. It was a pickle the week of Mint. I ended up meeting the co-founders at NFT NYC mm-hmm. two weeks after that mm-hmm. um, and got to spend some time with them. And from there, kind of our, our relationship blossomed through different events, through Twitter spaces and Discord, and, and really just like finding a home in Web3 through Doodles. So very much kind of like a known quantity on both sides when it came time to actually think through like what a role could look like. And there was just like a level of comfort and trust. So it was a, it was a very unique onboarding experience in that you know, I joined at the top of the year. I flew down to Miami. At the time, the team was was basically like a two pizza team. There were like eight people around the table as we were getting ready for, for a key launch. Um, you know, now the team is, is almost 60. And uh, oh, wow. you're on the table. Yeah, I knew I knew every single person that had individual stories I could tell about every person. So it was definitely like a comforting environment. And then, you know, as I think about my role, it's, it's similar to a lot of startups where your title can be one thing, but ultimately you see across a lot of, of different departments and have a lot of different responsibilities that can change. Mm-hmm. You know, the needs of the company change. So for me, it's it's very much like, serving to drive a lot of our strategic conversations, doing a lot of internal operations to uh, get everyone on the same page and then executing new business opportunities and really just serving as a sounding board for the CEO and, and for the co-founders. And yeah, I think that just comes from being being in being in the office every day, so to speak, and, and see where the opportunities are and where my skill sets align with that uh, and be able to, to help out where I can. 
I've been involved in various communities in Web3, uh, from Palm to the Cool Cats, and community is a huge, huge deal in the space. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what do you think makes the Doodles community special? I mean, of course, everyone's going to say, look, our community is great. Our community is special. But for you, you've, you've got a very unique vantage point um, from being involved from the very beginning to where you are now. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what do you think makes the Doodles community special? Certainly. Well, they're, they're definitely one of the more creative communities that I've come a part of. And you know, our mission is really about spreading positivity and joy in the space. And uh, I think that's no more important than during a bear market. And they certainly align with that ethos that I see so much fan art and people coming together and helping one another to, you know, the events that they put on themselves, like they're very much like leaned in and see the opportunity of the brand, both within and outside of Web3 and, and really serve as our our front line of, of support and really looking to, to bring the brand to new heights. So I, I've continually been amazed by the level of both creativity and ownership and expertise within the community. Uh, we are constantly looking for ways to elevate members of the community, whether that be having host events that we are luckily lucky enough to support to actually through the incubator being able to uh, put some funding into business ideas that they have um, to actually bring in some of the artists that we've seen within the community on board through our artists and residence program uh, so yeah I think it's just a it's a very talented community that all have you know incredible backgrounds in their own right that are also bought into the mission of, of spreading joy and, and building this brand so I think that's that's really what sets it apart. They show up every day, um, and they and they really are an extension of the team. You know, I I always say that Web three communities are demanding and a, a probably a little more entitled than other communities, and I think that 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 is largely because they understand the value of what they bring. Um, how do you and the team balance giving the community what it needs versus the needs of the business? Because I'm sure that they don't always align. So how do you how do you strike that balance between you know what the community wants versus where you're heading with the business? I, I don't think it's uh, something that any uh, any project has completely nailed, and ultimately a lot of that comes down to the maturation of the space. I right. Think for a lot of people, this is you know, Web three is like two years old when it comes to like these PFP projects, and so we're all learning together. I think, you know, for us, we try to communicate as clearly as we can while also giving ourselves the breathing room to to have a strategy that continues to iterate with the world around us. And, and ultimately, I think for holders, like they may have preconceived notions or assumptions about why they initially bought into the project and that may change. And so they need to continually reassess, you know, is where the brand going ultimately why I decided to buy in or not. And I think that's like kind of a, a give and take on on both sides. But you know, what we try to do is clearly communicate as much as we're able to. Obviously we can't share everything. Sure. We can feedback uh, where we can, but also remain you know, steadfast in our vision of of what we're trying to build and know that over time, you know, that will will lend itself to people gravitating uh, towards that mission. Yeah. You I I recall some some uh drama, I would say, in the past with regards to 
uh, not keeping the community adequately apprised of what was happening. And I know quite a few of the larger projects have had the same thing where the community is like, oh, you haven't tweeted in, you know, six months or whatever. But it, it appears that Doodles has recovered quite nicely, actually. What did the process of repairing that relationship with the community look like? You know, that effort really started in earnest when we had some key hires come on at the top of the year uh, who were able to lend their perspective from the community or from from other positions that they came in, into. One key hire was uh, Bianca, who was our head of marketing and did a phenomenal job kind of just outlining know how we could better communicate how we how we speak uh to the community what platforms and channels we do that in and really establishing an operating process for that i think you know what was evident is you know these were like i mentioned at the beginning we had like roughly eight people that were here at the top of the year to the scale that we're at today which is obviously exponentially bigger and people were just really stretched thin and they needed additional help uh and domain expertise to, to do this the right way so mm -hmm. And they were doing the best that they could, but they were certainly open to feedback and, and iterating. And yeah, a lot of that just came from leaning in, really you know, establishing a direct line of communication with the community through doodle sessions, which were Twitter spaces that we that we host for people to ask questions, to give updates on what we have going on, to establishing a community council so that we had people directly from the community, you know, with a direct line to the doodle team came they were also responsible for revamping our doodle bank uh, which gives people an opportunity to actually use company funds to start up businesses host events and and really be able to to prop themselves up and then it also just doing more consistent feedback so whether yeah i, I hosted several like video sessions i sent out a survey just continuing to make sure that we're really in sync with how the community is feeling and that they have a voice to that they feel that they can they can vocalize their their thoughts. So it's an ongoing thing that we're working through, and you know, continue to to look to iterate and improve where we are today. It's not where we want to be in the future, but I'm really proud of the progress we've made in the you know almost nine months since I came on board. Proof of Culture is brought to you in part by Zora, the place to bring your imagination on chain. Visit Zora.co to get started. Connect, click, create, and now. Back to our interview. You, you know, you, you touched on a few of the initiatives that, that y'all have going on. I think you mentioned the, the incubator and the artists in residence program. I'd love for you to expand a little more, talk a little bit more about the incubator. Is that something that is primarily for holders in the community? Is it open to all? Also with the artist in residence program, maybe talk a little bit more about those initiatives that y'all have set up and, and how they're meant to further engage with the community. Yeah, so th this was certainly a pet project of mine and one that I was really excited about iterating on and coming on board. Actually, the initial conversations that I had, both within Doodles and then with Julian, as we were talking through what my role would be here, was around the Doodle Bank. Yeah, I, I initially bought into the project because I saw a lot of the opportunity through the bank of, okay, we're, we're effectively operating as like a semi-DAO to be able to put forth uh, different ideas that can help elevate the brand uh, and ourselves. And that was something that felt very aligned with how I wanted to operate within the space and trying to be a builder. And so, you know, our initial conversations were actually around, you know, do I come in to consult and think through how the Doodle Bank could be more effectively 
used because one of the issues I was noticing as a holder before even coming on board was the uh, the process by which proposals were going through the the pipeline was was pretty broken. We didn't have a really strong sense of being able to ensure there was like a high quality bar for proposals. And then the key thing to remember is a lot of holders don't want to participate in something like that. And so we we ultimately, for one reason or another, right? Like they're not in the space every day. They've got lives or whatever going on. And so you end up with a pretty low participation rate, mm. which is ultimately a detriment to the people that are here every day who do want to build. Uh, and that being a deterrent is, is unfortunate. And so when I came on, it was definitely top of mind and, and really aligned well with how we wanted to continue to give the the community more opportunities to participate within the Doodles ecosystem. We were able to bring in outside help from Kai Turner, who actually built out the Mebits DAO early on in, in Web3 to, to build a structure that was ultimately going to improve the quality of proposals, ensure that they were aligned with the mission and ethos of Doodles, and to give more oversight and ultimately resources to the proposals that do get approved. Mm-hmm. So in that, we developed uh, what is now called the Incubator. It, it is run by the community. So we have a council chair, a treasurer, mm-hmm. a head of grants, a head of rewards, uh, and a head of events that oversee everything. We also have two watch members, which are individuals who basically act as like board observers. So they join every meeting, they ask questions, they, they do minutes, they send it out to the community. And so they oversee like the day-to-day operations uh, they actually collectively built the MVP of the product, which is incredibly amazing to see and just show wow. the, the amount of talent we have within the community. And and what it's allowed us to do is really define what type of proposals that we're looking for. So instead of it just being a blank slate of, okay, we have this treasury, like just put forward any type of proposal, we can make sure that the types of interests we're getting are very much aligned with where we're trying to go as a brand. So one of those pillars is bringing people together. So how do we create uh, a framework for people to put on events, particularly around areas where we know where we're going to be? So perfect example being camp. We had our OG older preview last week uh, um, and we allowed, we we had like a call to action for people to put on events. So our community members put on like a putt-putt event. They put on a Cubs game. There was like a boat tour and it was a way for there to be this ecosystem of events around our holder preview where we knew people were going to be in Chicago. Uh, it's also enabled our our community holders that may not be based in the States to start getting together more and, and have some fun to do so. So currently right now there's a event going on for Korea Blockchain Week. We were also able to fund the holders going to a crypto conference in Korea last month that I actually spoke at. So they were able to uh, come for free and things like that. So there's, there's events is a key pillar. Another pillar is around content creation, and we're actually able to really drive the awareness of the brand through content creation. So there's been two uh, requests for proposals that have gone out so far. So this is where the team has an idea mm-hmm. and or they, they have something that they need help with, and they put them basically the bat signal out of like, hey, we have a bounty. Uh, this is what we're looking for help for. You can submit your proposal for that, and you know, we'll ultimately end up picking some winners. So... And it relates to content creation, we have the Artist of Residence program, which is basically come get a crash course in animation from Golden Wolf and Doodles. Wow. We have our first, uh, yeah, so it's like a pretty, pretty great program just for like 
anyone who's in the community who has like a strong interest in animation, you know, you're here effectively getting taught by some of the and an Emmy award-winning uh, animation studio and getting to spend time with them every day. So one of our first arts in residence is our dude who's been like a, a fixture in the community since the very beginning. And he's gotten firsthand experience with actually now developing content for the community. And then we also did a content creation RFP for camp. So we paid for people to come and do interviews, to create video content, blogs, and across the community for OG holders to, to come out and, and be part of that experience and actually get paid to do so. And then the the last piece that we're really, and honestly, this is of all of them, the one that I'm the most excited about, is how can we actually incubate businesses using the Doodles IP? So you have, um, you have a Doodle that you own, you wanna create some sort of product or service, how can we elevate that offering and really give you the resources that you need to, to be able to prop that up and, and give you an audience for it? So wow. whether that is, you know, creating CPG products to creating any type of game, how can we like give you some funding to, to set that up? So that is just recently launched as of like two weeks ago. So we're starting to get the first set of proposals around people that want to build different things with, with their IP that hopefully we'll have online in, in the coming weeks. That is very cool. Uh, really great way to to just engage the community and, and reward them as well. I, I recall there was an instance. Um, I don't know when it was. It was a, it was a while ago, and I think one of the founders he tweeted something about Doodles not being an NFT project, and I know that that caused some ripples. Not just I'm sure in your community, but I'm sure across the entire NFT ecosystem, as everybody was talking about it. But I think to some degree, right, for NFTs to really hit the mainstream, some of that must be true. Like you can't just be an NFT project, right? There, there, There's the need to sort of shift and adapt to, to basically become a brand, right? You've got this IP and it's really about appealing to a broad cross section of people who may or may not be in this space. And so I wonder where you stand on that thought, like, we can't just be an NFT project. We have to be more than that. Do you think that projects need to become more like brands? Yeah, I mean, look, like I think the the main point that Jordan was looking to communicate is ultimately, if we're going to build a sustainable business and a brand, it does need to extend beyond Web3. And I mean, they, you can look just at the market dynamics that exist today, right? Like, yeah. There are no royalties. Um, it's really hard to build like revenue or any sort of, uh, like sustainable business off of NFTs alone. I don't think anyone is, is looking to do that. Um, and you can look at, you know, projects across the ecosystem and it's very clear that they're all looking to extend into verticals that can be more sustainable. Right. With that being said, like our core mission hasn't changed. Like we really believe that web three is an opportunity to reinvent the relationship between fans and the brands that they love and to give them more ownership in those brands as to being able to track their their providence and see how they they grow along with the brand and be able to take you know some some benefit in that as well uh, so that certainly hasn't changed i think we constantly talk about what does what does fandom look like what does co-creation look like mm -hmm. uh, what does it look like to build and incubate a brand with a community from day one all, all of those things remain core to, to who we are and you know, web 3 will remain core to who we are and and how we look to support og holders and, and what we do so yeah i think there's you know the a lot of truth in what he said about how we we look to grow the business i mean 
literally on Friday, we announced details of our Crocs partnership. We are oh, yeah. and like <laughs> like Adidas and Human Race and Human Made. We just mm-hmm. launched a physical retail location in Chicago with Camp. And so we're doing a lot of things that like would not have seemed fathomable to just an NFT project a couple of years ago. So it really is building, looking to build a timeless brand that, that mm-hmm. reinvents yeah, how fans come into contact with it on a daily basis. You know, because you touched on this, I feel the need to ask about it. You, you mentioned royalties and certainly one of the biggest shakeups in the space lately has been you know, OpenSea and some other platforms. Basically, it looks like creator royalties are, are, are going away, which I know for many artists, that was one of the major appeals, appealing things about Web3, right? And creating art on the blockchain was the ability to get some revenue in perpetuity from something that you create. How does this affect a brand like Doodles, if at all, something like royalties going away? Yeah, I mean, look, every, everyone's affected by it. It's just like less revenue coming in, but... Fortunately, we have never looked at royalties as a sustainable business model. Um, a variety of reasons for that, right? If you build an incentive by which royalties are the engine of your company, then you're effectively looking for your NFTs to change hands, which is not what we want at all. Like, I right. think ultimately, a barometer of success for us would be that people are not listing their doodles and they're holding them because they love the brand so much. So royalty for us was, was never the end all be all, but obviously it has an impact in just like where revenue comes from. And uh, I think we got a pretty early jump on how to think about sustainable revenue streams outside of royalties. And I ultimately think it's a shame what's happening. I, I originally got into Web3 in part because of what royalties could mean for artists in particular. And I remember often telling my friends, you know, the opportunity, particularly like in the art world, uh, of of being able to see the benefit of your art accumulating value over time. Right. There's all all of these stories of famous artists today that would sell their artwork, whether it was through you know an art house or, or otherwise, for a very minimal fee, uh, only for it to be you know worth hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars in the future and they they get no royalty on that yeah um, and ultimately they were responsible for seeing that accrual in value so i think that is more of like a fundamental like question slash like disappointment that i have is, is hoping that we can get to a place of royalty enforcement but for me it comes less from our our own position and more of just like i see such a benefit for creators overall in the space uh, to be able to benefit from this. Yeah, my my go-to use case on that has always been Kerry James Marshall and his big sale where one of his pieces sold for 20 million. And then we later found out that it was, uh, it was I think, P. Diddy who bought it. And when I try to illustrate Web3, particularly for artists, I explained to them how Kerry James Marshall didn't get any of that like you can have a piece that sells for 20 million and not see one penny because, you know, you, you're no longer involved in the life of that that piece as it evolves and continues and your career grows and your pieces gain value. A sale like that, you can net nothing. So I, I definitely agree with you that it's 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 a bit of a shame, but hopefully we'll see some changes for the better. But I, I, I want to jump back, jump back to the brand partnerships. You mentioned Camp and recently Crocs. 
I'm curious how some of these partnerships came about. How involved were you in this process? And, you know, is it is it really about onboarding the next million or the next billion and bringing Doodles as a brand to people that are not in the NFT space? Is it really about just going far and wide with the name of the brand, some of these partnerships? Can you talk a little bit more about that? I have to give a huge hat tip to my coworker, Brandon Rosenblatt, who is head of brand partnerships and has really been instrumental in, in driving a lot of those. And we work hand in hand in thinking through the strategy and the go-to-market and ultimate execution of those. Uh, but he's, he's been at the forefront of the actual like deal flow and bringing those to the table. You know, I think as we think through the goal of brand partnerships overall. Obviously the brand building that we're able to do, the the acquisition uh, and awareness of the brand, I think for us, these help to define a place in which Doodle speaks to culture and is a part of culture in, a, in an every everyday way. In, in doing that with partners who like really get where we're trying to go as, as a brand. So yeah, that that's kind of the lens by which we look at them. Can we find people who just like it outside of web three find a real strong affinity for the ip which we believe is is one of the strongest in the space can we get that in the hands of more people i mean we talk about how we want to see a doodle in every home and you know to do that being able to leverage the the distribution and and brand integrity of a lot of these partners is, is pretty critical uh, as we look to create and grow our own footprint um Assuming that there is some desire to cross over for mass appeal, how would you describe the target consumer for Doodles? We we see like our current holder base and use as crypto does a little bit millennial. We actually have like a pretty even uh, male female split, which is Ooh. pretty unique in uh, that is unique. Yeah, very very, very unique <laughs> for sure, and and that shows to us. I think that. A lot of it lends itself to the art style, the character traits, and having a more holistic demographic approach. But we we talk about like adult as being like our our core demographic. So these may be like parents who are millennials and they want to experience or, or show kids the same IP that they grew up loving to, you know, people that watch shows like Adventure Time and Rick and Morty. It's it's really an IP that can like scale itself up and down in terms of tone, depending on the audience. So, uh, I mean, you look at some of the historical examples of that, whether it be like a Star Wars or or anything from Marvel, where they can come in a variety of different formats uh, for kids of different ages and adults. Or you look at something like an Illumination and Minions of, of how it's like geared towards kids. But obviously there are so many like adult hidden jokes within them. I mean, they literally have like the bank is called Lehman Brothers for <laughs> Minions movie. So there's like, there's, there's a lot there. And it, yeah, I think we're, we're generally targeting millennial Gen Z and collectors and people that are, are looking to, to really lean in with the brand. But we're going to continue to do these experiments like camp where we can introduce the IP to a different demographic and see how they identify with it and, and take a lot of learnings from that as well. Mm -hmm. what, what's the big vision for Doodles? Like, where do you see the brand? in the next, I don't know, five, 10, 15 years? I mean, the, the vision is to be one of the most recognized and loved IPs in the world. And I think where we take a lot of inspiration from is really strong 
character-driven IP. So whether that is like a Pokemon, a Sanrio, a uh, like with Hello Kitty, a like Marvel, like the, these are kind of like the high watermark for us. Yeah. And can this be a brand that is pervasive in culture that people from you know all ages and all demographics can identify with? That That's definitely the goal of where we're trying to go. You know, there are so many movements in Web3, art, film, music, gaming, loyalty programs, et cetera. When you think about the intersection of entertainment and technology, what's next for the space? Where do you see it going? I mean, if I had a crystal ball, (laughs) I more broadly think whether this is something I talk a lot to my friends about, for the longest time, crypto adoption overall was focused on infrastructure. We need the infrastructure. We need the infrastructure uh, in order for us to be able to adopt people into into Web3. And, you know, with a lot of the recent developments, particularly as you look at Layer 2s, what's going on with base, account abstraction, the ability to have these like Web 2.5 type platforms and choose your own adventure, like we have the infra. I don't think infra is, is any longer an issue. It'll continue to develop where I think we have the most opportunity for growth is in developing user experiences that really solve a core need for a mainstream audience. You know, when when you can put the technology on the back burner and really just focus on starting with the experience and working yeah. back to the technology, uh, as Steve Jobs would always say, that that's the kind of the next evolution that I see. Um, and it's really like how we're, we're focusing on as a brand as well, right? Like we... We're launching experiences where it doesn't matter your your technical acumen. There's uh, an adventure that you can participate in, whether it's you know using an email address to create your own doodle and buy wearables with a credit card uh, to enjoying our physical locations at camp to dive it into our social content, and then maybe you do want to go deeper and you do want to explore the OG ecosystem. Well, then you know we have ways for you to set up your own businesses and and start events and you know, have a full suite of offerings there. So I, I really think it's about just like solving a core need and meeting people where they are and, and recognizing that there is not a one size fits all. No, I agree 100%. I, that's been a constant refrain of mine is that if we are really going to sort of be more far reaching and 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 get those folks that we want to get into the space that the technology has to be in the background and the experience has to be in the foreground. So I, I agree 100%. Um, I only have one more question for you, Austin. I'm so appreciative once again for you taking your time. I'm sure you're pretty busy. So I'm really appreciative that you took some time to chat with me today. As always, our last question is, what does culture mean to you? Well, thank you for having me. This is really fun and and best of luck with everything. I think for me, culture is something that you just feel every day. It doesn't, it's not marketed. It's not something that has like a big campaign. It's just something that's a part of your day-to-day life. And, and you know it by like an emotional resonance that you feel mm-hmm. um, versus you know being told that, that this is culture. Um, if it feels like an ad, it's not culture. <laughs> like it needs to ultimately feel feel organic and and be something that people are are choosing to to spend time with. Awesome, awesome, wonderful. That's a great answer. 
Once again, thank you so much, Austin, uh, for spending some time talking to us about what you're working on in Doodles, what you've been doing in the space. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Proof of Culture. Your support really means the world, and you're helping to bring our message to a broader audience. This podcast is written and produced by yours truly. Don't forget, the conversation doesn't end here. I'd love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, or any suggestions that you might have. Reach out to me on Twitter at Sean Morrison. That's S-I-A-N-M-O-R-S-O-N. And be sure to follow the podcast at Proof of Cult underscore pod. Your feedback and engagement really makes a difference and helps us to shape our journey. If you enjoyed today's episode and you found it enlightening, please share it with friends, colleagues, or anyone you know who might be eager to learn more about the cultural landscape in Web3. Your support in spreading the word is invaluable in helping us to grow our community. Our theme songs are A Long Way by Serge Pavkin Music and Titanium by Elysia Beats. Be sure to tune into our next episode where we'll continue to dive deeper into the fascinating facets of culture in Web3. Until then, keep exploring, keep questioning, and keep cultivating your own proof of culture.